Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left hand in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink from the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right and or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been, been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Marriage. We get to see it right before us today. That's great. Thank How many years have you all been married? How many years have you, the two of you been married? 43 years. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's give them a hand. <clears throat> my, uh, my parents have been married long, a long time. I, I can't even remember now. How old am I? Yeah, not quite. Uh, they've been married a long time. And uh, I hear a story. There's a story that I hear often from my parents about when they first got married. Can, can you all remember the first, when you first got married? Some of you who are married, some of you can't know, don't know that yet. But the first day they got married, they came back from their honeymoon, and my dad sits down at the dinner table. My mom had prepared the meal, and my dad grew up with a mother who doted on him. Like, she did everything for him. And my mom is, is, is not my grandmother, let's just put it that way. She's, she's, a good, she's a good woman, and she takes care of family. But So my dad sits down at the dinner table, and he looks around the dinner table, and he, says, he, asks, he just asks a very simple question to my mom. He says, where's the butter? My mom's response was, it's in the refrigerator. And she continued to sit and eat. Now, my dad expected her to get up and go to the refrigerator and get the butter and bring it back to the table, but then he sat there, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And my dad will tell you that's the moment he realized he was not married to his mother. <laughs> Amen. That's right. He shouldn't be. And, um, and, and this really set the, and he kinda, it kind of woke him up to this idea that I have married someone who is not my mom, right? I have married someone different. This is marriage, right? And I think about this, I was thinking about this idea, how we, how, you know, when we're dating, uh, and those of you who may be dating, you know, when we're dating, we're, we're always kind of looking for ways to, to serve the other person, right? Maybe it's not really about serving them, maybe it's about impressing them, Right? Right? And then you get married, and what happens is then you start to look, how is this, then you start to look at this other person and go, how can this person serve me? Right? And that's a different, right? So I, I think we're, we, we kind of have to understand that we still have to carry that into marriage, I think. I think this idea of serving one another still applies to marriage, but somehow there's some switch that goes off in our head that says, 
you're here to serve me, whereas beforehand we tend to serve. So what is that about? You know, we see that today in today's passage, right? These disciples wanted to be served. They wanted greatness. They wanted the thrones. They wanted to sit where Jesus could put them, right? So Jesus, could you put us here, right? So they send mom in to make this request. Actually, this is a very common experience in first century Judaism for a mother to go to an authority figure on behalf of her children was very commonplace. So sometimes we think, well, the, the sons put, up, put her up to this or she did this or whatever. But I think we over, over speculate there on the text. This was actually common practice. And so I'm sure they were all in together on this. And so mom goes to Jesus and says, could you, Jesus, the one in the authority, because we know you're going to come into your new kingdom. And if you, rem if you, didn't, re you didn't read chapter 19, but in chapter 19, Jesus has just told his disciples, you guys are all going to sit on 12 thrones and judge the nation of Israel. So, they, they, so if you can imagine you were told you're going to sit on a throne with Jesus, but then the two of these guys, James and John, begin to think, which ones are we going to get, right? And so their request is really, if we're going to be on 12 thrones, can we get on the right and on the left? Which was like asking for first and second place in the kingdom. It was like asking for the next two best seats in the house in the new kingdom. That's what they're asking for. And that's really what Jesus is talking about, these motives that actually get in the way of serving God, of serving others. And these motives, one, the first motive is actually that, be first, right? We all want to be first. That's what the, the brothers are asking for. We want to be first, the first throne, the second throne. Now, how many games back are the Mariners out of what? First place. How many? Two games back. Astros lost yesterday, Mariners won, so we're now two games back. I'm just going to all remind you that I'm just, this is, has nothing to do with the sermon, but do you remember when I asked you at the beginning of the baseball season how you thought the Mariners were going to do and how very, I saw very little faith in this room for the Mariners. <laughs> I just want you to know that right now they're 31 and 20. I believe they're in second place in their division, right? They have a winning record currently. Season's not over. We know that, right? So, but anyway... I just, you know, anyway, just going to remind you of that later in the season, too. So just keep that in mind. But what I'm saying is that we, what is it for? And when you run a race, some of us just run races to survive, right? If you ever run a marathon or something, you're like, I just want to get through it, right? But, it, but where do we want to finish in our age group? Or where do we want to finish in, our, in, our, in, in the race? Where do we want to finish? First, right. We all want to be first. It's competitive. It's comparison. And that's what they're doing. So it's no wonder... That the other disciples, when they hear about this, they get what? They get upset. Wait a second, you're trying to be first. You're trying to get ahead of us. You're cutting in line. You ever drive in Seattle traffic and the narrow road comes and those people that zip up the side and get up, right? How do you feel about those people? Indignant, right? Indignant, right? Just like the gospel lesson said, right? So they're trying to be first. And that's what's happening. And all through this passage, actually, some of the things that Jesus talks about previous to this passage, he says this phrase in verse 16 of chapter 20, and he's actually been teaching about it. He says this famous phrase that many of us have heard before, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. He's been teaching about this idea that if you want to be first, it's really not about that. 
And he's saying in the kingdom of God, it's not about being first or second or third or fourth. In fact, the first is the last. God's grace is distributed equally to all, whether first or last, whether last or first. It doesn't matter in the kingdom. This competitive spirit, this desire to be first, is not the kingdom ethic. It's not what the kingdom's about, that God's grace and love and value is equally going out to all people, regardless of where they are standing in the world. So that's the first thing he addresses, this motive that kind of gets into us is like, I want to be first, I need to be the best, I need to be the greatest. And that's the next part, is that he talks about this other motive about being great. PlayStation says, greatness awaits, right? Greatness awaits. And that's really what they're seeking, they're seeking greatness, they're seeking positions of authority and power, and they're saying, can you put us in a higher position, Jesus, than what we're in right now? Can we move up in the chain of throneship, how can we move up? Have you ever thought about that with your career, your job? (laughs) How can I move up? How can I get in a better place, in a better place of authority? And I think about this idea of wanting to be in higher and higher positions in our society and higher and higher positions of authority because we think that somehow things will be better if I'm there (laughs) because I'll be in control, right? And so what's driving us to want that position? What's driving us to want to be in that next position, that next level position? Is that really serving? Is it really service? Or is it, I want control? Or is it selfish ambition that's driving us to be great? You know what happens when leaders are self, have selfish ambition and then they get into a position of leadership? What do they take with them into that leadership position? Selfish ambition. And then what do they do with that leadership position? They use that position to do what? To serve whom? Themselves, right. See how that works? Uh, Stephen Sample, who was the former president of USC, wrote a book called The Guide to Contrarian Leadership. I love this quote out of his book. He says, many men, and I would add women, want to be president, but very few want to do president. Right? A lot of people want to be president, but not a lot of people can do president. They want the position for ambitious reasons rather than the ability, the giftedness, the ability to serve the people in which they are in leadership over. And so that's part of, this is what Jesus is saying. is like, you're seeking this position for the wrong reasons. You're seeking these positions of authority and responsibility. And I can tell you that authority and responsibility is not all it's cracked up to be. Sometimes it's tough to be an authority. It's tough to be responsible because you have to make decisions for the good of people that maybe are not always popular. So my question today is, what's motivating your acts of service? As you think about serving others and whether, wherever that may, in life, in career, in family, in the church, in society, in the community, what's motivating your service? What's behind your service? Is it being first? Is it being great? Is it recognition? Is it award? And what does Jesus have to say about that? What does Jesus have to say? Well, I would say this, because we're doing it next weekend, there is a place for gratitude and appreciation for service. You know, there are moments where we do need to appreciate service and say thank you for service without awarding service. Does that make sense? So this Saturday we're having a picnic. Why are we doing it? We want to appreciate and thank those who serve. We're not giving out awards for service, right? You don't get like, you're the best servant this year award, right? 
That's not what it's about. It's really just about saying thank you and we appreciate you because you've served. I think we as servants need that appreciation and encouragement along the way, right? So keep that in mind as we get together this weekend and thank you. So there's a difference between thanks and appreciation and awarding and recognizing. The other thing I would, so I would say to you that this is what a life of service looks like. Really, it's two simple things. The first one, I think a life of service is an attitude. Just a general attitude, all-around attitude, but you're willing to serve. I, was, uh, I read a book called the Inside the Magic Kingdom. Magic Kingdom is what? Right? Disney. I think I've mentioned Disney before. One of the things I appreciated about their corporate culture is that if the CEO of Disney is walking through one of their parks and sees a piece of trash on the ground. Do you know what that CEO does? Picks up the trash. Why? Because that's part of the behavior within their corporate culture that says we are all responsible for how our parks are presented. Every detail, how cleanly they are. So the CEO doesn't walk by that piece of trash and say, hey, I'm going to wait for the grounds crew or I'm going to send an email to the head grounds crew keeper and say, I need you to pick up the trash in the park. That place looks terrible, right? That's not what the CEO does. The CEO cleans up the park. That's part of servant-heartedness. That's part of serving, right? Because what is that leader invested in? What is that leader invested in? the good of the organization, right? They're saying, I serve because I want this, this organization to succeed, and so we serve so that the organization can thrive. And it doesn't matter what position we're in, we all have the same attitude of service. I think that is what the church is to be about. That's what the kingdom is to be about in general, that all of us are called to serve. None of us are, can opt out as kingdom messengers, as ambassadors, as witnesses. In your bulletin today, did you notice something? Anybody? Yeah, go check it. Woohoo! Look at that. Right there before you. Opportunities to serve. Life of service. And what we did, and we'll have this this week and, the, and next week, so I want to invite you to pray about it. There are opportunities. There are six different areas right there. There's actually more than this, but this is the, what we could fit on the sheet. But here are opportunities for you to serve. Now, I, I, I think that I would stress this word opportunity, <laughs> and you'll hear it again in a minute. Why, why do we say opportunity? Because as kingdom disciples, as people who follow Jesus, we are to be looking for opportunities to serve. But here's the other thing about service. I think we owe you an opportunity to serve. We owe it to you because I believe that as you serve, you will become a follower, a better follower of Christ. My greatest hope for you is for you to follow Jesus. Jesus said, serve. <laughs> so there's a link here. So for me to help you be a follower of Jesus, I've, I am giving you an opportunity to serve. We are giving, not me, but the church is giving you an opportunity to serve because that's part of it. And I think that God will grow you as you serve. I believe that God will do things in your life as you serve that God would not do otherwise, that if you just think about yourself, because part of the kingdom ethic is to move from self to others to God, right? And so every time I serve, it actually does something inside of me. It shifts me, it changes me, it makes me move out of my self-centeredness and onto God-centeredness and other-centeredness. And so when I serve, that happens to me, that changes me. So that's an opportunity for you and for me, right? So it's not just that we need help, 
but I actually think that God will grow you as you serve, that that is a part of that. You know, a couple months ago, I, I, I witnessed a beautiful act of service right here in First Church. I was out in the foyer before service one Sunday, and I saw one of our, 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 our faithful members getting coffee for two other people sitting on the benches out here in the foyer. Now, what I noticed about this act of service was that the person that was getting the coffee had a walker. And the two people sitting down were perfectly able-bodied and perfectly capable of getting up and getting coffee for themselves. They were perfectly capable of getting up and going to the refrigerator to get the butter. But what I saw was joy in serving. That as this person used their walker to go grab one cup of coffee and bring it over to the other person and smile and hand it to them and then go back with their walker to another and get another cup of coffee and walk it over to the other person saying they served two people, there was just joy in serving. It was an attitude, right? She was happy to do it. And I think about that. She didn't let her disability get in the way or her immobility get in the way of her opportunity to serve. Right? That's an attitude. I can't create that in myself. I can't create that in other people. That just, that just comes with being a follower of Jesus. That's the kingdom right there. It's in the simple acts of kindness, of just serving one another, of just caring for one another, and being joyful and being glad to do it. That's what I saw in that saint who probably doesn't even know I'm talking about her. My apologies. We're all called to serve in the kingdom in some way, in some fashion. But then the other question that comes to me is, pastor, pastor, yeah, great. I, I want to serve, but tell me where. <laughs> or how do I serve? Or what am I supposed to do? Or how am I supposed to serve? Or what am, what am, you know, what, how do I pick? How do I choose? What do I do? That's a great question, actually. It's a wonderful question. How many people have ever swung a tennis racket? How about a golf club? How about a baseball bat? Now, each of those are sporting pieces of sporting equipment that you use to hit a ball. And on each of those pieces of sporting equipment, there is a spot on that equipment called the sweet spot. And if you can hit the, the ball with that sweet spot, whether it be in the tennis racket or the baseball bat or the golf club, if you can hit the sweet spot, guess where the ball goes? Where you want it to go, right? <laughs> yeah. This is why it's called practice. When my dad uh, was a ten my dad loved playing tennis, and he said, "Matt, if you want to get better at your serve, <laughs> take a bucket of balls, go out to the tennis court, and just practice, so you can find the sweet spot in the racket for your serve." So I would just go out there with a bucket of balls, and I would stay on the line in the tennis court, and I would just practice my serve over and over and over again. And the more I practiced, the more I discovered where the sweet spot in that racket was. And I began to be able to see where the ball goes, right? I would say that your serving God has a sweet spot. That the only, but the only way to discover that sweet spot is to do what? Start swinging, <laughs> Start doing something, right? Start getting involved. Start finding a way to serve. So that's part of it is we got to practice, we got to swing. But I would also say that this is what I think the sweet spot in serving God is made up of. These three things. Call, passion. 
opportunity, and gifts. These three areas, when these three things line up, that's where you'll find your sweet spot. Let me unpack that a little bit. So your call or passion is that thing that you feel that God is calling to you or that you're interested in or that you have a passion about. It could be a, about people. It could be about an area of life. It could be about a particular mission field. It could be about a community. It could be about something that you see in the world that there's a need that you want to be, that you're passionate about. And so that is about part of your passion. And then there's gifts. We are all gifted differently. Did you notice that? We heard that a little bit today. You know, some people like numbers. How many people don't like numbers? Anybody not like numbers? Yeah. Some of us like numbers. Some of us don't like numbers. We're all wired and gifted differently. We all have different interests. We all have different giftings. And so we have to look at what, what am I good at? What do I like to do? And also, what am I gifted to do? And then I have to say, where are the opportunities for me to serve? Because not all of us have the same opportunities, Right? We're not all given the same opportunities, but if opportunities do present themselves throughout our life and different people are offered different opportunities, I can't, it's kind of a random thing, isn't it? But what are the opportunities I do have? Not what are the opportunities I want. There are some opportunities I'd love to have. They just never come my way. But what are the opportunities that are before me, that God has put in my path, that God has put before me? And when I can take my call, my passion, my gifts, and my opportunity and put them all together, I will find my sweet spot in serving God and serving the kingdom. Now, if you have gifts and opportunity but no passion, you probably won't serve because you're apathetic, complacent, right? So you can have gifts and opportunity, but if there's no passion in that area, no interest, no, no call, you're less likely to do anything because you're apathetic about it. If you have gifts and passion and you have no opportunity, how do you feel? Frustrated, right? You know, I have these gifts and I have this passion, but I just don't have an opportunity. You ever feel frustrated? You want to serve in some capacity, you want to do something, but the opportunity is not there, you get frustrated. And then here's the other thing. If you have passion and you have opportunity but not gifts... Everybody else is frustrated. <laughs> Can I get a witness here this morning? <laughs> let me tell you a story. I'll tell you what happened to Matt's story. Because you all won't let me use your story, so I'll use my story. But if you ever want to give me a story to use in a sermon, I will take it. So I was a, a, a church, first church I, I served at full-time as an associate pastor was a church, and they came in and they said, Matt, you're young, and you're naive. Why don't you start a contemporary service at our church? Now, this was a church that was, had been very traditional for many, many years, for 150-plus years. And so they said, Matt, well, you're the young guy on staff. Start a contemporary service. You must know about contemporary worship. I didn't know anything about contemporary worship. But we'll, we'll start it. So I thought that what this is what I, this meant, right? Get a guitar. Take guitar lessons. So I got a guitar, and I took guitar lessons. And I learned some very basic chords and a very basic strum pattern. I know it was a G, A, D, I think F. And I learned some different chords. And then <clears throat> I got up Sunday mornings with my one strum pattern, my four or five chords, and I led worship. Yeah, that's what they thought too. And let's just say I'm, I preach better than I sing, and I preach better than I play guitar. And this is why you want people like Colin playing trumpet. I actually know how to play trumpet, but you want, you want to listen to Colin play trumpet. You don't want to listen to Matt play trumpet, right? That, that's a gift that I don't have, right? 
But what was happening in this worship experience? I had the opportunity and I had the passion, but I did not have the gifts. And no, although I felt good, <laughs> how do you think the people felt? There were a lot of cringe. I call this the cringe factor in worship, right? You know, or I've heard it called the cringe factor. When people cringe, you know, when you sing an when you sing off key, people cringe. When you miss a chord, people cringe, right? So there was a lot of cringing going on. But here's the point. Here's the other lesson out of this. One, if you're not gifted, <laughs> step aside. And I learned. But here's what I learned. I learned I wasn't gifted. I took a swing. It wasn't my sweet spot. I learned from the experience. I moved on. I started doing other things. But here's the other thing I want to, us to know. You see, when a follower of Jesus holds back their gifts from the church, guess who steps in? Someone who doesn't have the gifts. When there's no one there in the, organ, in the church to step in and give their gifts, when you and I hold back our gifts from the body of Christ, when we say, I am not going to do it, I don't have the time, I'm not going to share my gifts with the body of Christ, guess what happens? Somebody who is not gifted then has to step in. And everybody cringes. And everybody's frustrated, right? So I, the other lesson in this is don't hold back your gifts. Don't hold back your passion when there's an opportunity to serve. Because God is calling. God needs God's people. Actually, God doesn't need us at all, but God desires to give us that opportunity. So what's, what was motivating Jesus? What was... What was his motive for serving, for dying, for giving his life, for sacrificing? What was his motive? He told us right in the scripture. What was it? I want to I be a ransom for many. He was looking to the good of others, not to his own good. And that's the heart of service. That's a life of service. How can I help others? How can I invest in others? How can I help others be better, invest in them, give to them, help them. How can I do that? He was a ransom for many. Today, this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. We remember. We remember those who gave their lives in military service, who died in military service. This was a tradition that was actually started just post-Civil War. And it was actually a Civil War practice that uh, <clears throat> families would go and lay flowers at the graves of those who had died in battle in the Civil War. It was, a, it was a bloody Civil War. Many lives were lost. Now, in Gettysburg, there's a national cemetery. And in, in the national cemetery, uh, because the battle of Gettysburg was so, uh, so chaotic at times, but also when they, they had to bury the dead so rapidly that they just took bodies and put them in mass graves and then had to dig them up later and sort out the troops. And as a result of that, there are 979 unknown graves in that national cemetery. And I remember standing there and looking at this grave and they're just blocks with numbers on them. No names, no awards, no recognitions, no, no notification to family. And I, and I stood there and I thought to myself, what a waste of life. And they didn't even get a medal. They didn't get an award. They didn't get recognition. They, their families were not known. None of these things happened. And we don't even know their name. They gave their lives. 
And I think about that. That's probably the greatest act of service, according to the kingdom. Because to serve without being great, to serve without recognition, to serve without any knowledge of anybody else is part of the kingdom ethic, attitude of service. Now, I don't think Jesus is asking all of us to die, but is our life being given? You can give your life to something without dying, because you can give your time, your energy, your, your passion to something, right? And you can give yourself away to someone. Now, Lincoln, not far from this spot, gave the Gettysburg Address. You know how long it took him to give that address? Shorter than this sermon, by the way. Two minutes. By the way, does anybody know who the main speaker was at that, address, that day? Does anybody know the name of the main speaker? You don't, do you? You know how long that main speaker spoke? Two hours. Let that be a lesson to preachers. The guy who spoke for two hours is not remembered, but the guy who spoke for two minutes is remembered, and we can remember his words, and here are some of the words that Lincoln gave. I'm not going to read the whole address, but he said this as he stood in this national cemetery. He said, it is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to the cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. That line that jumps out at me is they gave their last full measure of devotion. Their last full measure of devotion. What is your measure of devotion to God and others? Is it a full measure? Is it a half measure? Is it a quarter, 10%? I don't know. But I think about this. What motivated these soldiers? Recognition? Medals? Victory? Or I hope, there's a part of me that hopes that they gave their lives for the freedom of others, to be a ransom for many to make a difference in their world. I think, I hope that was their motive because that is the motive of a disciple. To love God and to love others is the motive to serve. Let's pray together.